What should separate me from your love? What should separate me from your love? Adonai, you're my God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us into your presence. And we know, Father, that this is a great privilege. Know that we do not deserve it. It is, it is your gift. And so we come with our hearts filled with joy and reverence to you. And we give you glory and honor. Father, we love you very, very much. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your son, our Savior, who died on the cross for us and was resurrected from the dead and is now in your presence. Right at your right hand side. We confess that he will come back and judge us together with all the living and all the dead. One day at the end of the end, which you, Father, have appointed. That is our hope. And one day we will see your son. Life is standing before us and calling us into your kingdom earth. Thank you, Father, for this hope and thank you for this future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father, as we turn to your word. We ask you to open our hearts and ears and minds that we understand what you wish to tell us this afternoon. And would you please bless my words that they bring you joy and honor. Our sermon text this afternoon is uh, Psalm 79. You realize that we're in the series through Psalms, number 79. The Psalm of Asaph. O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of heaven for food, and the flesh of your faithful saints to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury We have become a reproach to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us. O oh God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. 
Should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before your eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lack of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, we will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. This is the word of the Lord. A psalm of Asaph. Asaph was a man from the tribe of the Levites. That was the tribe in Israel that the Lord had chosen for himself as special servants. They had to take care of the tabernacle of the Lord, that's the tent of the Lord, and the ark of the Lord. That was the wooden box in which the Israelites kept the stone tablets of the law and also the Moses. And so while Israel was marching through the wilderness, that was their special service. And later, when the Levites served the Lord by taking care of his temple in Jerusalem. King David appointed this man, the book of Chronicles tells us, King David appointed this Asaph and his descendants to be lead musicians in the temple. Now, this is something Bill and Daniel don't understand. You don't understand because you think you're going to be grown ups very soon, and so then you decide what you're going to do. That's the way we think today. Back in the times when the Bible was, back in the times when Jesus was on you were born into a family, and what your father's work had been was going to be broken. If your father had been a tent maker, you would be a tent maker. If your father had been a smith, you would be a smith. And if you didn't like it, what? Okay, so the thinking in the Bible is God appoints you to a work. Now, today that's still true. We think we make decisions, but if we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit guides us in these decisions and God helps us. But at the time, King David appointed this whole family for hundreds of years to be lead musicians in the temple. Asaph wrote songs. We, in the book of Psalms, we have 12 that carry his name, a psalm of Asaph. Well, again, at this point, we must understand that when it says a psalm of Asaph, we could also translate a psalm for dedicated. So this Psalm 79 is not necessarily written by this particular man, but it comes from the tradition of his family. And Asaf composed the music for the song. Asaf led the temple choir 
And he played the drums. And so Pastor Dan and Daniel Julia, they are sons of the sock. The lead musician, he leads the, the choir in the church, and Daniel Jr. plays the drum. So, welcome, sons of the Now, on the day when King David brought the Ark of God into the city of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that he ordered Asaph to sing this song All give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Sing to him, sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy in first forever. Now, have you ever wondered why God brought you to this life? What is the purpose of your life? Just heard it. God created you so that you spend your life praising Him and thanking Him. That's true for all of us who believe in Christ. What is of our lives is praise God and For He is good. And his mercy endures forever. Many years later, when King Solomon had finished building the temple and brought the ark of the Lord into it, the Bible says that Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, that's family, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, drums, harps, and lyres stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise, in thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good and his Steadfast love and yours forever. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. House of God, that is for glorious name of God. Those were wonderful days in the life of Asaph and his family. Life was good. It was a joy to praise the Lord and to thank him for his goodness. Now, Psalm 79 speaks of a totally different Jerusalem has been destroyed by the enemies of Israel. The city lies in ruins, literally in heaps of stone. Not one stone standing where it is supposed to be. The holy temple has been defiled. Pagans have entered into the holiest parts of it. They have abused the holy vessels. They have not called upon the name of the Lord, nor have they bowed down before the Lord. They have stolen what belonged to the Lord. How could that happen? Has the Lord forgotten the oath he swore to Abraham 
his son Isaac and his son Jacob and to King David. The oath that he, the Lord, would love Israel forever and be their God, which means be their king, be their protector, be their judge, be their savior. You know, when disaster like this happens to the people of Israel, it is not just a political and a social calamity. It is a crisis of faith, too. When six million Jews were killed by Germans 50 years ago, it was a terrible event, personally, socially, politically. But most of all, it was a crisis of faith. Where's the goodness and the love of God in such a desperate situation? And the same is true for us. When such a disaster happens to the Christian church. It is not only a political and social disaster, it is a crisis of our faith too. We Christians praise God for he is good all the time. Isn't that what we've just done for about 60 minutes? We praise the Son of God, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. But where are the Lord, where is his son in the midst of disaster? Those are the questions that come to you. And the first important point we learn is this. When we find ourselves in a desperate situation, in a situation where it seems like God and Jesus have left us, have turned away from us, we should not deny it. We should not pretend that these things did. At the time of Jesus, and even 400 years before that, the uh, Middle East had a, a very popular philosophy, which actually came out of Greece. It was called Stoicism. Stoics are people who pretend that nothing can ever get to them personally. Stoics sit in the middle of a wedding. They don't dance. They don't smile. Everything is just. And when they are in a terrible disaster, they say nothing. They just keep their calm. But we are Christians. We are not Stoics. And when good things happen to us, we rejoice and thank the Lord. And when bad things happen to us, we don't deny it. We cry out to the Lord for help, just like Jesus did, hanging on the cross and crying, My God, my God, why have you? Don't deny when things, when bad things, always be. Because to cry out to God in despair, after all, is still proof that we hang on to him, that we still trust him, even though things are Now, Psalm 79 is a song of laments. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 42, which is also a song of lament. But here, in contrast to Psalm 42, the cause 
and the occasion for lament is not some personal distress, some personal problem. Here, the issue is not that one individual suffers from the attack of evil people. It is the whole people of God that disaster has befallen, the community of the saints. And it's important to recognize, to recognize this, to understand some parts of it actually has three parts, verses 1 to 4, which describe the terrible situation of the people of God. Verses 5 to 8 address the Lord with the confession of sin and the plea for mercy. And verses 9 to 13 address the Lord with an appeal to his glorious name and ended with a promise that when the Lord has rescued his people from despair, the people will praise and thank him forever and everywhere. Well, let's look at the situation first. The psalm gives us a very vivid description of what has happened in Jerusalem. That's the city of which God had once said, you shall have peace. And the people who lived in Jerusalem trusted that peace to the point that the book of Jeremiah tells us they thought they could do whatever, sin in any way they liked. Because God said the city is safe. You see, they trusted the city, they didn't trust God. And now the city is utterly destroyed by its enemies, nations, which means pagan people, people who do not know the Lord. Nations have entered into the city of God and have killed its inhabitants with such brutality that the streets are flooded with blood. Little bodies are lying on the ground. Vultures and wild dogs eat their flesh, and there's nobody there to bury them. Now, to be denied a burial in those days was the most extreme form of shame. Remember, the high priests and the scribes and the Romans hated Jesus to him. But they did grant him a burial. If you deny a person a burial, even for us Christians, it's the greatest shame ever. And people to burn the dead body is pain. Only one There's no one to bury the dead because those who have survived the attack of the enemy are now in prison and captivity. Verse 11 speaks of the groaning of the prisons. The people of God have become a reproach to their enemies who leave them with scorn and derision. The psalm doesn't say what historical situation it speaks of, but we can imagine this is the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the Temple Garden at the Roman in 587 years. Now, clearly, when such a terrible thing happens to the people of the Lord, it doesn't seem to be. 
not believe the people of the Lord? The writer of the psalm is not silent about his thinking that such things ought not to happen to the people of God. He reminds the Lord of the fact that he's not speaking of some insignificant people in some insignificant place. The pagans, he says, have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your temple. The dead bodies are the corpses of your servants. Everything the enemies did to the people of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, to the temple, they have done it to the Lord. They are the Lord's enemies. By shaming Israel and treating Israel with scorn and derision, they have blasphemed the name of the Lord. They have mocked the Lord. And by saying this, there's a confession in these words that says, we, after all, belong to the Lord. We are his people. We are his servants. Jerusalem is the city of the Lord. The temple is the place where his glorious name dwells. But there's also a complaint in this. It is not right for you, O Lord, to bring this calamity on us. And you know, in the same way, when the Christian church today faces disaster, we ought to cry out to the Lord and remind him that it is his church and that we are his people and we say him. Jesus said, whatever you do to one of my brothers, you do to me. And so if anyone attacks the church and persecutes the church, he attacks God's and we cry out to God and we tell him that we still trust him, even in these terrible circumstances. But it would be wrong to stop him. That's where the second part of the song comes in, asking, how long, Lord, will you be angry with us? How long, Lord, will you be angry with us? There are three important points in this question. First of all, it is an acknowledgement that the disaster that has befallen the people of the Lord is a result of the Lord being angry with us. And that says the Lord is in control. When good things happen to his people, it is because God is pleased with us. When bad things happen to his people, it is because he's angry with us. And this is very important. When bad things happen to us, it is not because some great power greater than God attacks us and God sits there and says, oh, I wish I would be able to help, but I can't. No, God is in control. God reigns. That's what we just have in this song. He reigns. He's in control. Sometimes when bad things happen, people will say, why does the Lord allow this? My question is, why does the Lord do this? He is the one. It is because the Lord uses our enemies to discipline us. 
the book of the prophet Amos, the Lord says, if there is calamity in the city, will not the Lord have done it? And the answer is yes. He. And in Isaiah 45, God says, I make peace and I There's nothing in your life that doesn't come. He. Good. Second point, the root of the Hebrew word for being angry is to breathe very heavily. And it, it expresses a situation where something grieves the Lord and upsets him very heavily. In Isaiah 43, the Lord says to his people, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. We need to understand that God does not take our sins and our unfaithfulness to good light. They burden them. They weary. Why? Because every time we sin, it causes a contradiction between two principles of God's holiness, the two pillars that God's holiness stands on, righteousness and love. His infinite love for us and his infinite righteousness. And when you and I sin, righteousness says, let these guys perish. Unfaithful Israel, 2,600 years ago. Unfaithful Christian church, let them perish. They deserve it. And the love of God says, have mercy on these people and let them live happily. Israel, 2,600 years ago, the Christian church. The Lord's anger is not like the two-year-old boy throwing a fit. It is a righteous anger caused by the sins of his people. The psalm acknowledges this clearly, saying, do not remember our iniquities against us. The true cause of the calamities that have come upon God's people is their unfaithfulness to their Lord. 2,600 years ago, and the same is today. What are some of the areas of unfaithfulness of the church today? Worldwide church, love of money, Love of power, sexual aberrations, lack of the word of And third, the question is now to ask how long only makes sense if you're convinced that there will be a The only question is when does it come? The writer of this psalm is convinced that the Lord has not turned away from his people forever. As terrible as the situation, it will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, the Lord's love finally prevails over his righteousness. That's the essence of mercy. Mercy puts an end to righteousness. Because mercy is always breaking the law. Mercy puts an end to righteousness. Mercy is love trumping righteousness 
And the Lord alone can exert such mercy. But he gave the law in the first place. And this is the mercy of God in Jesus Christ to us. We are all condemned to hell on account of our rebellion against the law and our neglect of the law. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Lord who gave the law overrules it and says, No, you have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. And so the psalm gives us an important characterization of our relationship with our Lord. It shows us that our relationship to the Lord, there are actually three parties in the The Lord, Holy, Almighty, King, and Judge of all men. The people of God, his servants who are weak, sinful, and vulnerable. And the nations, the people who do not know God, that is, they have no relationship with him, and who are often stronger than the people. The Lord is the God of his people. He has sworn to protect them, to love them, to save them, and to give them a happy life. And his people are his servants. They have sworn to obey his commandments, to love him, to thank him for his goodness, to praise him before all other people. Uh, have you sworn that? Yep. Well, on the day when you were baptized, that's right. But the people are weak in their faith and weak in their commitment. When things are going well, they think that's because of their own strength and because of their own smarts. And they become lazy and praising and thanking God. Their love for God with us, and so does the love their brethren. They begin to neglect the word of God. They think they know better than God what is good and bad for them. And so they rebel against his commandments. Now this the Lord cannot let happen forever. He cannot let, let that happen forever because he knows it would be bad for his people. They would into disaster. And he cannot let that happen forever because it would contradict Eventually, if the people continue to be stubborn and rebellious, the Lord uses their godless enemies to go against them, attack them, and defeat them. They shame them and mock them and despise them. And they bring God's people very, very low. But God does not do that to destroy his people forever. He doesn't even do that to punish his people in the sense of legal punishment. He does that so that the people come to their senses and remember that God and return to him. And they say, have mercy on us, Lord. 
we have been brought very low. Until that pride has been shattered and they once again recognize that they are weak and helpless without the Lord. That they are his sheep and he is the shepherd, the God of their salvation. And when that happens, the Lord punishes their enemies and restores his people to a good life. The Lord uses the enemies of his people. The Lord uses our enemies. When we go astray, we neglect his word, we neglect loving him, loving our brother. The Lord uses people who do not even know this time. And if you think that's crazy, preacher, read the book of the prophet Habakkuk. He sits on the hill above the city of Jerusalem and prays to God and says, How long can this city be a place of lawlessness, of violence? And the Lord answers, I will do something that you won't believe. I have raised up. So brutal and so terrible, nobody in the world has ever seen something like that. And I will bring this people to destroy Jerusalem and discipline my But the people would not return to God again and again and again. God sent the prophets and said, return to me. Come back to me. I love you. And the people said, we love We like sex. We know what's good for us. Who cares? Until God said, I will raise up this parable. And the people came. The army of the Padawan. Psalm 107, from which we heard some, some verses earlier. And I recommend you go home and read more. In the worship service. But it shows us exactly that pattern which God has laid down as part of his law in the book of Leviticus. There he says, the life of the people of God, Israel, and the church of Jesus Christ is a pattern where obedience is followed by rebellion, rebellion is followed by retribution and suffering until the people come back to their senses again and return to the Lord and he forgives them and restores them to their previous faith and to memories. And now you ask, why is it necessary to have that pattern for 2,600 years? And the answer is, because we won't learn. Because we are rebellious. In verse 6, our writer asks God to pour out his wrath on the nations that do not know. That raises the question, 
May Christians ask God to destroy their enemies. Did not Jesus command us to love our enemies? And the Apostle Paul command us to do good to them? And the answer is yes, of course. But in asking God to punish our enemies, we renounce taking revenge ourselves. Godless people use violence to enforce what they think are their rights. The people of God trust God to enforce what he thinks of. It is the God who said, vengeance is mine, I will be. And here we must recognize that the issue is not individual suffering, but suffering of the whole people of God. Our prayer should not be that God punish Mr. Smith, who treated me badly as an individual. Here the welfare of the church is at stake. And praying to God that he pour out his wrath over his people's enemy is a sign of love for our brethren. Which brings us to the front. You know, the Russians have attacked the Church of Russia, the Orthodox Church of Russia, has put all their assets on Putin. Putin is a saint. Is a saint. Ukrainians have no right to live. They must be killed. That's the Russian Church. Christians, but obviously, but there are good Christians in the Ukraine. Is that right, Minister? Good Christians in the Ukraine, and so it is our duty, and as part of that duty, we can ask the Lord to put an end to that war and defeat the Russians in the Ukraine. Now, the last part of the song is an appeal to the Lord's name, which is to his honor and his glory. Help us for the glory of your name. Provide atonement for our sins. For your name's sake, why should the nations say, where is their God? And so the song reminds us that there are always two sides to the relationship between the Lord and his people. One side of that relationship is the Lord's love for his saints, for his children whom he has chosen in Jesus, and their love and obedience for the Lord. The Lord cares for them and protects them. And when his people have sinned, they appeal to his loving kindness and mercy. The other side of the relationship is the standing of the Lord's people in the world. Among the people who do not know the Lord, and hear the honor and the glory of the Because if the people of God, the Christian church, ever perish, the enemies of the Lord would regard the Lord with scorn and derision and say, he, he wasn't able to save this church. And that can never happen. For the Lord said, I will not leave my glory to anyone. And therefore, when the people's sin is so great that they fear that the Lord will turn away from them, appealing to his glorious is our last resort. As Moses did on the mountain, when the Lord was so angry with the people of Israel, 
And the Lord said, I will destroy this people and make you, Moses, a great nation. And Moses said, no, Lord, don't do that. For the Egyptians will say that you're a woman. You were not able to protect your people. And so the Lord willing and saved his people. The name of the Lord is a saving name. When you appeal to him, to his name in utter despair, he will not let you perish. God chose you with a purpose that you praise his holy name before all people. That's the purpose of your life. And if he saves his people, it is for that purpose, not because they are saved. So that we thank and praise. Now, keeping this in mind, the psalm teaches us that in times of trouble, when we cry out to God, we have to hold these two things in balance, our own salvation, but it must come together with a zeal for the glory and honor of the Lord, with a commitment to praising the name of the Lord. And here we can follow the example of the song. We pray for salvation and we promise to thank the Lord forever and praise him for his goodness and mercy people. This is what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. But if anyone denies me, I will also deny him before other men. If disaster falls on you, you cry out to Jesus, help me, Lord. And Jesus looks at the light and says, Yes, I will intercede before my and ask my father. But if not, don't expect Jesus. If in your daily work, among your daily acquaintances, your friends and your neighbors, you are silent about Jesus, you hide your faith, should he? Psalm 79 is a prayer in times of when the people of God suffer from attacks, violence, humiliation. The Christian church worldwide suffers from those things every day. The grace of God not here and now, but there are thousands of Christians today who are persecuted, assaulted, shamed, violated, humiliated. Because of the same faith that you have, faith in Jesus. Their families are being destroyed, their property is stolen. That's the situation today in China, it's the situation in Russia, it's the situation in many Muslim countries, in the United States. The Christian church is facing increasing opposition in Europe and in Germany. Less than half of the population in our country is And so the opposite. Because of our sins. Because of the unfaithfulness of the church. There will surely be an end to it. 
God will not let his people perish. But you and I, meanwhile, have a duty to pray for the church here and everywhere in the world. Pray that God will have mercy and forgive iniquities. Appeal to the glory and honor of the Lord to preserve his church. Commit yourself to praising him and thanking him every day before the people around you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing songs to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. You owe this much love, brothers and sisters. Round up your feet and end up in Jesus. Lord Jesus, we confess that so often. We forget about praising you and so often we hide our faith. We call us instead of showing it and giving you glory and honor. Lord, forgive us from temptation. And protect your church everywhere in the world. That all those who do not know you, who mock you, who deride you, that they will see you faith. You the King of Glory. You belong to all of What should separate me from your love? What should separate me from your love? I don't.